you know, we'd recorded Life in General and, you know, it was going good and Steve Kravak ended up just mixing it without us, you know. We got a CD sent out to us on tour, cranked it up and started listening to it. I remember just going like, whoa, like, not to be all weird, but we sound good. What the, like, this is pretty momentous for us. Like, it's, it was the first time we had a record that was actually produced really well. It sounded good and, you know, could kind of hold up over the years a bit. So that was, that was really cool. I, I still haven't seen it right now, just sitting in that van in that parking lot and like kids are walking to the show and we're just sitting there blasting our new record that they don't even have any idea about yet. And it ended up becoming one of our, you know, kind of our calling card record. Talking Records Podcast! Talking Records Podcast! Talking Records Podcast! We talk about our favorite records! Talking Records Podcast! We're so glad you tuned in! Thank you all for listening! You showed up to the right place! Jed and his friends dive deep in analyze the records we have grown to love. We'll tell you how we found the band, then give you a track by track breakdown of all the songs. So grab your favorite beverage and pull up a seat. Today we'll look at another record in its entirety. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Talking Records. My name is Jed, and I'm here with Scott from the Western Massachusetts punk band, The Creepin' Cadavers. What's up, Scott? How's it going? What's new, man? Uh, not too much. Just enjoying uh, life in the pandemic lockdown, you know? Life in pandemic lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, man. So, Scott, we go way back. We were just talking off off mm -hmm. uh, mic about our, our bands. And I guess we go as far back as like the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. You were in a band called the Fisticuffs. <laughs> yep. I actually met you guys through a coworker of mine, Wayne, your guitar player. I worked with him at the time. That's right. We had uh, set up some show, like I think at like the Westfield Moose Lodge or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that's my cut. That's where I cut my teeth in this area. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So we've known each other a long time. I'm super psyched to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, talk about a you know record that was very, very important to me when I was younger. Talking Records is a podcast devoted to connecting with friends over records we love. Today, Scott and I will be talking about MXPX's 1996 album, Life in General. Life in General was released on November 19, 1996 on Tooth & Nail Records. Tooth & Nail is an independent Christian label based out of Seattle, Washington. The band of Mike, Tom, and Yuri had signed to the label back in 1993 when they were only 15 years old. Perhaps being young and eager, the band possibly signed on for things that would come back to haunt them after Life in General. Oh, yeah, there's a ton of that. We can get into that a little bit, but there is a ton of... Yeah. Uh that label completely screwing them guys right like what did we sign on for here mm -hmm. the record was engineered and produced by steve krevak and recorded at west beach recorders in hollywood california i had a chance to chat with tom a little and he told me that at the time they were high school kids excited that someone else was going to pay for their studio time between 1994 and 1996, the band recorded three full-length albums and one EP of cover songs. According to Tom, we have always loved recording, even from the early days, so it just made sense to get in the studio whenever possible. The band recorded Life in General but wasn't happy with the way it turned out. According to Tom, 
It just sounded bad. Together with Tooth and Nail, the band decided to re-record it, this time with Steve Kravak. Kravak had done the first value pack record for Tooth and Nail, and everyone agreed the album sounded great. Tom pointed out to me that this was the best decision they ever made. And on an episode of the Mike Hara podcast, where Mike has Tom on as a guest, the two reminisce about how things would have been different if the band hadn't made the decision to re-record it. Both agree that they wouldn't be where they are today. I've actually heard some of those or something of the facsimile because um, there was like Morpheus. Do you remember Morpheus and LimeWire? Yeah. I got oh, yeah. hold of some older of the of those demo tapes of oh, really? uh, the first version of Life Life in General, and mm-hmm. it is rough. It so is rough. <laughs> uh, some just you could just tell they whatever they were going through they weren't they weren't meshing very well in the studio. So it was definitely a a, a good choice to you know hit just hit the pause button and start over. You know, right. And I know that Tooth and Nail actually released some of those tracks on the Let It Happen compilation that came out in 1998. So you can kind of hear some of those rough demos yeah. on that comp. Yeah, a lot of Critter. There was a guy called Critter who did a bunch of different versions for a lot of their songs. Different, um, Not only just different versions, but different, yeah, different mm-hmm. production values of each one, too. So there's a bunch of different versions of each song out there. Yeah, and they made some changes. I think the final song on that comp is called Life in General, but it's actually The Wonder Years. Mm-hmm. So the song either had a title change between sessions or someone just mislabeled it. Believe it or not, Life in General was actually re-recorded a third time in 2016 and made available for streaming to celebrate the album's 20th birthday. If you've ever seen MXPX Live, they're very, very uh, like a well-oiled machine, so... I would imagine that would take them a couple days and they'd be done. Bang it out, yep. All right, so back to this session. West Beach was the recording studio established in 1985 by Bad Religion guitarist Brett Gurwitz. Tom pointed out that the studio had actually moved, so it wasn't the same place that Bad Religion and No Effects had done their early records. Mr. Brett wasn't hanging around during the Life in General sessions, but Tom did inform me that Brett did come in and record some backup vocals on the Ever Passing Moment sessions, which were done at Conway Studios, also in Hollywood. Yeah, it was like two pretty records rad. after that one. Yeah, pretty rad to have Mr. Brett on your, yeah. on your album, singing backups. Seriously. According to Tom, Mike plugged into an old Ampeg SVT and an Ernie Ball Stingray Music Man. Tom used a Gibson Les Paul studio through a 1970s Marshall JMP and a Mesa Boogie Dual Rectifier. Mike and Tom played along with Yuri, recording scratch tracks with the main focus on drums. As producer, Kravak also picked up a drum tech credit on the album, possibly assisting Yuri with sounds, drum placement, and other specifics. Once the drums were set, Mike and Tom then went in and recorded their parts piece by piece. I spent a lifetime trying to chase down that sound of that bass. And, you know, when you're young, it's... Yeah, yeah, playing through an SVT is not something you really can get your hands on. Or even uh-huh. a Stingray. What's a Stingray? Uh, you know, fifteen hundred bucks. You know, when yeah. you're a punk rock kid, you're not affording <laughs> you're that. Right. I, I mean, I had like, I had knockoff Stingrays. I, you know, I had yeah. Fender Fender tube amps, but nothing touched those old, you know, those old amps like that. Now as I an adult, you... I can kind of afford those things. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> 
And I mean, you get what you pay for. If you if you're able to shell out that kind of money, you're gonna get like such a nice sound. Oh yeah, and and just Kravak knew, knew how to mix down everything and produce produce that record. It just you know, and one thing a lot of people don't talk about when they talk about MXPX is Yuri. Yuri is a uh, is a phenom. Is someone who's is not a normal. normal drummer. Yeah, yeah, and like unless you like. A lot of people just, you know, a lot of drummers get the shaft anyway. But if you listen to what he's doing and then try to have someone like emulate it, like you want to talk, get someone in, the, you've talked to Jay. Jay will tell you right off the bat that that guy, he's a lunatic on drums. Can't play, you know, yeah. no, most people can't touch that kind of drumming. Yeah, he's a really good drummer. I, I'm continuously impressed by he's just like steady. He's just he's creative. Yeah, nothing's boring. And then he's always these fills that come out of nowhere, but don't sound like they come out of nowhere. Tom told me it took 10 days for setting up, getting sounds just right, working through the songs to where the band felt happy and tracking drums. Then the band went out on tour for a few months in the middle of making the record. Once they were home, it took two more weeks to record everything else on the record. On the Mike Herrera podcast, Mike and Tom recall the process feeling very rushed. I mean, I mean, the process maybe of, you know, setting up, that's 10 days setting up. That's not really that rushed. I mean, maybe by... No their standards but i mean i've i've heard of other records being done ha- half that time from from setup to mix down you know so sure. you know but i mean you never know that they're probably rushed because it was not on their dime this time you know the if a studio was pushing for this to be done or a, right, or yeah. a record label was pushing this to be done they don't want you taking your sweet time or maybe doing it in two separate you know chunks maybe it made it feel a little a little rushed or inconsistent yeah. Yeah, that's also true. It's like hard to get back into the vibe if you leave the studio and go out on the road right, for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Take off, play the songs, and maybe they change a little bit when you're out on the oh, road. Yeah. And then you come back and you're like, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I don't play this this way anymore. I play it this way. But now I'm yeah. unhappy with how I recorded it. So you go back and you pick, nitpick your own songs. Yeah, yeah. See, that would drive me nuts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the band made some changes that didn't sit quite well with their early Christian fan base. For example... Using Chris Cooper to do the artwork concerns some. His hot rod artwork featured a lot of devils and scantily clad women. Also, by life in general, the religious themes had all but faded away from the band's song lyrics, causing many of their early fan base to accuse them of not being Christian enough. Boom. Yeah, that was a, a big thing we were we talked about as kids because, you know, like I was telling you before we actually hit record is, you know, I'm not super religious and at the time it was... I didn't understand a lot of it, uh, you know, I'm, I let people do what they want to do, but there was a lot of that at the time. And Mike Carrera, you know, addressed it in probably the best way I've ever heard anyone address it. He goes, we're not a Christian band. I'm a Christian in a mm. band, you know? Oh, and I nice. thought that yeah. was a really nice way to put it. And I mean, even if you look at your record now, you look, go, go on Spotify, look up this record. It still says religious, you yeah. know, under, yeah, it's under its yeah. category. I mean, yeah, I mean, they definitely stopped singing about God every record, you know, or every song. But, they, you know, they're, the themes are there. They're just a little bit under the surface. Whereas, mm. uh, you know, you have, you know, your Poconacho was all, you know, very, very surface level uh, Christian music. And then, you know, you know, Teenage Politics was the same way. And this one, they realized, you know, maybe maybe they don't have to be as preachy to get the point across, you know. Right. And, and I so in your face, yeah. yeah, like anything, any kind of music like that. I don't like to be preached to whether it's like super straight edge music or super tough guy, hardcore. You just want right. to, I just want to listen and, and yeah. And make my own, you know, opinions on the stuff. 
All right, Scott. So I want to know when was the first time you heard life in general? How'd you get into MXPX? I got into MXPX um, through the little mutual group of friends I had when I was in, I think maybe uh, eighth grade to ninth grade, right around that time when, you know, everyone was listening to the descendants and just trying to find different stuff. And one of my friends, James had, he had uh, teenage politics on CD and I was like, Oh, I kind of like this. And he goes, well, they're, they're coming around soon. And they just released a new one, which I can't get because, you know, back then you actually had to, you know, catalog order stuff, you know, for, right. Wait for four, the months. <laughs> yeah, four <laughs> months for a record that might never come. So I went, I went and searched out. We used to go to the music outlet, you know, and, uh, I found life in general there, I think for like eight ninety nine. It was already used. Oh, nice. Someone wow. someone had, had bought it and did not like it, returned it, I think. And mm. um so I popped it in. That became, you know, that was my pivotal time for music too. That's when I started really playing, looking for bands. We all just hung out all that whole summer and just burn if that C D could, you know, you know, be burned up, it would have been burned up because we spun it so much. And I mean, it's still so, <laughs> it's out. still something to this day that is pretty consistent. I mean, my music tastes have changed considerably since then, but I still pop this on. And, you know, mm. there's no better driving record to me than this one, you know, because it was yeah. right around that time when I was learning to drive. And yeah, it was mm. a good time, man. It was a good summer. That record was kind of like when we were going into adulthood and they were going into an adulthood of as, as a band. And it was nice to see. It was nice to to experience. And then when I saw them, I saw them on the tour right after that. And they had changed so much in a in a good way. Yeah. You know, so Matured, I mean, yeah, yeah, like, and they were super nice. They were, they weren't, you know, it's hard to, you know, meet someone and, and gauge how they are in 30 seconds before they run back to their, you know, back room and get <laughs> be done after the show. But they seem pretty cool. Um, I, I mean, Tom reached out to you, so they got to be pretty, pretty down to earth, yeah. you know, so yeah, they seem really genuine, like, you know, really nice guys, really humble. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, that's what I always liked about this band. Well, they've never really, they've never had the success of, well, they did. It's weird because they did. I saw them on a Coke commercial once or like yeah. a Pepsi commercial <laughs> and I heard MXPX. Yeah. I literally turned around. I was like, what the hell? So they right. did have like that pop, that boom when in the, like the, the mid 2000s where their record labels were looking for bands like this to tap into it. And then they get one or two records and then they, you know, return to obscurity. I first heard Doing Time from this album on the Cinema Beer Nuts compilation released in oh. 1997 by Hopeless Records. Remember that? Was that? Just, that's a Hopeless Records release, right? Yeah. yeah. It had it was in like a, a plas- uh, like a bag yeah, when you yeah. first got it. And you had to open it up like a peanut bag. Yeah, I remember right. that. Uh, so so I, I have that somewhere. somewhere. Oh, you that, still that, have it? I got it somewhere, man. I kept all my rec- all my CDs and all my records from all that. They're all downstairs. You know, I have uh, more than I could count. That's mm-hmm. so weird. <laughs> and I really dug the song. And so I picked up the band's Small Town Mind 7-inch record. Mm-hmm. I was really into collecting 7-inch records in high school. And I just loved that 7-inch. It had like a punk side and a rock side. Mm-hmm. And they were yep. both awesome. I mean, the band played fast, melodic punk songs about girls and young frustration. It was right up my alley. Yeah, yeah, exactly what we were going through at the time, you know, because right. we're, we're the same age, you know, it's like, yeah, it's just at the time that kind of speed with the melody, they were like, to me, when I first heard them, they were kind of like the children of the descendants. And some people will call that blasphemy yeah. today, but that's what I was getting from it. Or like <laughs> a little screeching weasel mix with those three. But sure. the album was fast. It, you know, the lyrics were really relatable. 
at times Mike's lyrics could be considered simple, but I don't yeah. really think that's a criticism. I mean, I feel like he just creates relatable stories and ideas that as a teenager, I mean, I found a solid connection to. I didn't have to figure them out. I didn't have to like dive into the lyrics and try to suss out the meaning. Yeah. I just connected with this stuff immediately. It was right there. It was very, pre- it was presentable. I love songs like Move to Bremerton, where he's trying to redraw maps to direct a girl his way. I mean, it's just yeah. great stuff. It's stuff that you could you could definitely associate with at the time. It's like I don't want to hear about like politics. I just want to hear about holding a girl's hand and hope that she likes me when you're definitely. you know when you're that young. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that was that you know that record hits home so so easily for me. Like I was listening to it all day today, just you know just to get be refreshed on what parts are where. And, um, you know, and I was like at work and just before I knew it, my shift was over because I was just cranking through these songs. All right, Scott, you ready to break this thing down track by track? Let's do it. All right. First song, middle name. Emotion is my middle Emotion is my middle name, and with that iconic line, life in general begins. It's a song about feeling frustrated with the way things turned out in a relationship. He's trying to move on, but the hurt still lingers. <laughs> We've all been there. Yes, very much so. These are all very, uh, they're all your breakups and your, your finding girlfriend songs of our childhoods and early adulthoods. Mike sings, I lay in bed and listen to the rain, put happy thoughts into my head. But I find instead the hurting words you said. Why won't you believe me when I tell you the things that I see? And I'll still see you tomorrow. And at live shows, of course, the whole crowd typically yells the mm-hmm. at the show part. And I, oh, it's so awesome. <laughs> and right. Everything kicks in. It's amazing. There's no I mean, it's hard for me to describe like how that makes you feel when when you first hear that live. Next song. My mom still cleans my room. The second track on the album is a song about feeling misunderstood. When Mike sings, the way I feel is not always how I seem. He is saying that he's able to present one way to the company he keeps, but inside he's feeling frustrated and worries that if people knew what he was thinking, that they'd think something was wrong with him. <laughs> the, uh, like my favorite lines in there is you don't know me like you think you do. Yeah. I, and like, that's the chorus and the way it, like it holds out through the whole chorus mm-hmm. is, it's been one of my favorite lyrics to this day. I think everyone has probably had like odd or confusing thoughts before. So again, very mm-hmm. relatable. For me, it you know, younger, you don't really think about time flying so so fast. But these this CD, this this record makes me think of that. And like a lot of the song lyrics of this are about like life is super short. Live it, mm-hmm. go, do things because you don't know when it's going to end. And one of the lyrics in here is life is short, so live it wisely. And that was one of the right. things that stuck with me. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of cool with this song because it almost feels like it's two different songs. I mean, he's talking about, you know, having these confusing thoughts and being frustrated. But then in the second half of the song, you're right. He's talking about how life is short and you got to live it the best way you can, switching it up a little bit. 
Um, I think at one point in the song, he even mentions he's he's talking about like his dancing abilities. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I, I guess that I'm an okay dancer. I just want to, I just wanted to be left alone. And yeah. I was like, you don't know if it's because like maybe he did have two songs that he put together, or maybe he just mm-hmm. didn't know how to end the song because right, it seems yeah. like it, it's a very <laughs> abrupt. You know, yeah. you're like, okay, uh, I'll all take over it. the place. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, again, what, how old were that? They were like 17 at this time. Oh, sixteen. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, they they these songs are better than the songs I wrote at that age. So you know what I mean? Oh, like, without a doubt, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. You're like, oh, I'm glad I I'm glad I don't have my journal anymore, or I'm glad no one could see all those terrible lyrics I wrote. You know? Yeah, nobody's looking at the lyrics that I wrote when I was that age. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're yeah, locked are, up. Yeah, those are in the fireproof box. If the house goes up, they might survive. Exactly. It's just a ripping song, and it's got a great title. You know. Hmm. 17 tracks on the album could this one maybe have been left off i don't know it's not a bad song you know the lyrics seem disconnected but i don't know it's it's probably someone's favorite song you know so i feel like yeah how, how, how do you leave it off it's yeah you can't, it's i, I don't think you could leave it off but that's the thing too with like a i think tooth and nail may have pressed them to write more songs because a lot of their a lot of the record releases off those christian labels both tooth and nail and betty rocket records which were the two biggest at the time their records always had like 15 to 20 something songs on them and i'm like you know they're just either that you either you are right a writing god or you're being pushed to put out stuff to fill this catalog which you do have some some songs on these records that are just shouldn't be on here but like yeah this one Mm -hmm. wasn't my favorite but i didn't i still like it all right next up do your feet hurt can i call you sweetheart if I had your number, you'd be getting a podcast. I'm not sure what to make of this song. I, I love the instrumentation with that guitar line played low on the neck, but the lyrics to this one are, are pretty odd. I can actually recall the first time I popped in this CD. And getting to the song, and my ears perked up as I was doing something in my bedroom, and I audibly questioned, did he just say, can I leave you a message on your machine letting you know that you're the bomb? Yeah. (laughs) Well, like, Mike Mike back then, Mike Herrera was really goofy. Like, when you talk, when you see him in interviews, he was really, you know, he's a young kid. We all were, you know, and he was, you know, thrust into the front of this band, and you can definitely, he, he was definitely a... A strange bird. I mean, look at him now. He's he's super calm and collected, but that's a lifetime. But yeah, the lyrics on this are a little uh, melodramatic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's the driving guitar parts in this song are amazing. Like it's so, so there's not really any spots in this song that aren't energetic. It pushes yeah. through. It's got some good transitions. Yeah, and something tells me Mike probably was was being funny. You know, was having a joke. Yeah, I suspect he was just you know having fun with the stuff and. And coming up with, you know, good melodies and just putting some words down and probably not overthinking it too much. Yeah. And sometimes it's the best way to write, too, because if you think too much and then you're trying to be too clever and it all, you know, it falls apart. Sometimes it's just good to get it down and record, you know, put it on the de- your four track or your you know iPhone nowadays and just go with it. Next track. Sometimes you have to ask yourself. I know. Is it realizing? Because 
it's not affecting change in the real world. This is definitely one of my favorite songs on this album for sure. Listen to guitarist Tom just rip on the guitar with those fast guitar strokes. In the early days, MXPX played some really fast punk rock. When it kicks into the, the verse there initially with the chopping guitar parts, I yeah. lo- it's just so catchy. Quick flick of the wrist. Uh, it sounds really cool. This song features a word Mike made up, sloganarian. <laughs> Based on the context that surrounds this word, it seems to be a word used to describe simply repeating the things forced fed by the media. It seems to be an adjective. I don't know. <laughs> I know that yeah. when Shakespeare needed a word, he simply made them up. And I'm not comparing Mike to Shakespeare, but <laughs> sometimes you just have to make shit up, you know? Yeah, it's like when you got to bend a word at the end to make it fit the rhyme yeah. if you're using rhyme sch- schemes. Yeah. I wonder if he was listening to like Bad Religion uh, when he wrote this one. I mean, they were recording at Mr. Brett's studio. Maybe the inspiration was there. I don't know. You fit words in that don't actually fit. Big words, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe you wrote it before they entered the studio. I don't know. But one thing's for sure. Like I said, it's a fast song. And hats off to Mike for getting words like compartmentalizing, contemplate, spiritualized, uh, what did he say? Utilitarian and more. He gets all those words into this song. And man, (laughs) stuffs them in there because they're all in that quick ending. It's impressive. I, this wasn't one of my favorites on the record. It was kind of one of that was, you know, catchy, fast, but it was, you know, sometimes you were, I was like, okay. Cause like for me, like a lot of records have a, a ebb and flow and this was kind of coming down off the, the, uh, the last two. So I was kind of, you know, you, a lot of times I would skip this one. Not bad. Oh, yeah. I just didn't yeah. like the, the wonkiness at the end. Like it, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to end right to me, but I, I dig it. I, I still, you know, I still love it. Well, these are all great songs. There's always got to be a, a favorite and a least favorite. You yeah, know? like yeah. least oh, favorite you're... among greats. You'll hear when that's my favorite because I won't shut up. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on to Wonder Years. I can't say clearly. I can't think as it's So many times people avoid all the time. A lines of ten more, one and the same. But there's variations. Another ripper about looking back on the carefree days of our youth. It really, it's kind of about growing up, like, give, you know, moving on through your, your early days and trying to figure out how to go about being an adult, how, like how things don't make sense, how things are, you know, very, very, one day they're good, one day they're bad. That's what I got out of the lyrics. It just seems like a lot of this record is just about that transitional part from being like 15 to like 18 where life is mm. bicycles and forts to cars and jobs, you know? And if, yeah, it feels like maybe looking at things through rose colored glasses a little bit, I've got problems. Mm-hmm. Now the problems I had weren't so bad, you know, like looking yeah. back, things are never as bad as they seem. Mike sings so many doubts frequent my mind all the time. As we get older and the responsibilities begin to pile up, it can feel a bit overwhelming. My continues yeah. with, we all know by now that time's the enemy. It controls us, tells us where to be. Yeah, that's super powerful, you know, with the whole scheme of this record about time, you know, being forced to grow up and move on with certain things. That and like the, uh, you know, there's another record, uh, another uh, lyric I like in here. That in my younger years, I used to be so free, but I don't know what's mm-hmm. happening to me. It hits home. It still hits home, even though I'm, you know, almost 40. 
about, you know, mm-hmm. I still think back to those things and I still struggle with this whole spot in my life where I'm like, I just want to play guitar. I just want to play bass. I don't want to do any right. of the rest of this stuff, you know, yeah, <laughs> like hard to let go of those carefree days, you know, when your yeah. your biggest worry was, you know, are you going to get to band practice on time or, you know, yeah. like, are, oh, are you going to get home for some show you want to watch? I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, no one got mad at you if you were late from practice, you know, because you, right. you, got, you got in the zone and wrote a couple songs. Now you're like, oh, I got to get home. Yeah, definitely, definitely different. Next track, move to Bremerton. Move to Bremerton was a song about making a girl fall in love with you and trying to tell her all these ways, all these things you would do to make her, you know, find her way to you. Um, There are so many versions of this song and all of them are amazing. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I love this song. It's definitely an endearing love tune about falling in love with someone who lives far away and wanting them to come live in your hometown. Some of the some of the best lyrics I think he's written are in this song. It's it's kind of like for me it's like a a love a love poem. It seems like he wrote this either for someone or wanted to show that he was writing it for someone to try yeah. to like to, you know I'll do all these things if you just give me a shot. I know you're far away, but you know I'll I'll ch- even ch- like you said before I'll change the street signs you drive down so you end up in my town. You know yeah. I'll redraw the maps all one by one. There are there are a couple versions. Have you heard the other versions on this? You know like in on this record it's the if you own a brain and use it too. You got to know I'll yeah. have a crush on you. The older yeah. version was if you cut your hair and bleach it too, uh, you got to know I'll have a crush on you. I'm a sucker for a short haired girl with a pretty Short-haired smile. Girl. They yeah. redid it because yeah. it was kind of like, you're being kind of looking for a certain type of girl when you could, you right. want a smart girl. Right. And they're like, yes. <laughs> yeah. There are definitely notable differences between the original version um, on those demos that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And then of course the second attempt, which shows up on the actual life in general. <laughs> and they actually, I think they shortened the song too. It's much they, longer. The demo version is much longer. They took out like a whole bridge. And I think like, mm-hmm. a the ending they shortened too. That's one of my favorite. I have like three or four that are like my songs in this record. And this is one of them. Cause like I said, yeah. the move to Bremerton, they had like a seven inch too. Oh yeah. Yeah, and that was something I found in a store in Connecticut for like three dollars. I have it somewhere still. I cl- oh, that's rad. Yeah, one of these days I'll take out. like take them, pick you know, take them out and play them, you know, because they I put them all away. <laughs> Bremerton is a small city in Washington. You mentioned you you've been there. Yes, I drove through it and I stopped real quick and I took a photo in the Welcome to Bremerton just because of oh, the nice. this song and you know and I was like we were trying to hunt MXPX down when we were touring. I was uh, driving through and I'm like, we got to stop through here. And they're like, why? I'm like, you don't know. Just let me do it. Yeah. It's not far from Seattle, I guess. No, it's, I think it's South. I could be wrong. It's been a while, but yeah, but it's no, it's, I think it's, it's um very close to the, to the coast. I think it's a coastal city or close to it. Yeah, I believe so. It says here about an hour ferry ride to Seattle. Huh. Yeah. And this of course is where Mike, Tom and Yuri grew up. And it's a song that kind of put the city on the map. I mean, People have heard of this place in Seattle because of this band, you know. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't know it. It wouldn't know it. Just be like, you know, come to come live to in Agawam, you know, or come come move to Agawam. You'd have no idea what that is unless you were from the area. But because they're so popular, you know, now everyone knows about Bremerton, at mm-hmm. least in the punk scene. <laughs> sure. 
According to Mike in the Kitsap Sun newspaper, I definitely didn't think it was going to be a single or it was going to be anything, Herrera said of Move to Bremerton. It was just a funny song that I wrote because I wanted more people to move to Bremerton. You know, let's hang out. Let's do this. I wanted all the cool people I met on tour to be at home. In 2006, Mayor Carrie Bozeman awarded the band Keys to the City in recognition of the group's contributions to Bremerton. So that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Moving on to New York to Nowhere. Going nowhere fast. Watching cars go past. What won't snowmelt faster than Shepard's Arcade's Jasher. 16 hour drive. Just played it some time. This is definitely a touring song. This is this was our 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 live our lives for months on end. Yeah, I could you'll go for four hours on that alone, but I won't. But yeah, just the <laughs> the whole going, you know, just sixteen hour drive, just played in some dive lyric was like my yeah. whole life from like oh seventeen to twenty nine. It sums it up perfectly, yeah. <laughs> Touring can be fun, and the highs are plenty, but man, the lows can be soul-crushingly hard. <laughs> you know, you always hear about, oh, it's so good to play, you know, be on tour, and it's fun. Not when nobody yeah. shows up. You right. know, like, you did all, yeah. you did everything you could, and someone else dropped the ball, or, or just something was busy, or, no, or nobody heard about you. It happens. It's very humbling to have those shows. It makes you Definitely. realize that you're not famous you're never going to be famous you just play as well as you can with the time you got you're just slumming it man <laughs> and, uh, you know being trapped in a van with three or four other people for days on end <laughs> can seem like a total disaster this song reflects those moments where the days all start to blend together and you feel like you're on an endless march to nowhere <laughs> just driving just gas stations and highways just days on end and like the song is a is a great anthem for that because and let and and it gives the listener an an open view to what we've experienced people who have traveled in a band and toured extensively or even just gone out weekenders when you drive eight hours to play a show for 45 minutes and then drive eight hours back that's a that's a unique feeling that only a certain amount of people in the world get to do and this gives them a little a little glimpse into that life that we've lived yeah, a lot of bands have great touring songs. This is definitely one of them. It's a song that basically repeats itself twice. I mean, second verse, same as the first kind of thing, but mm-hmm. it's a good tune. But that also repeats because it's just monotonous. It's it's repeating yeah. because that's in the reality of touring when you're a low level to a mid-level band is just the rinse, repeat, yeah. drive all day, yeah. get to the show, nobody's there, set up, wait around, play. Break down, wait around, go find somewhere to sleep or, or keep driving to the end, you know, drive through the night yeah. to get to the next stop. And you do that yep. for months on end. Oh, you left out an important part, waiting around to get paid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that doesn't always happen. <laughs> right. You didn't bring anybody in. Well, you know, it's like we're from Massachusetts. Like this is yeah. Ohio, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I can't bring anyone here. I've never been here before. But that's a whole nother story we could talk about when we're not uh, recording. <laughs> Tour stories. Ugh battle cries right, let's, let's move on to andrea another love song mike sings meeting you was just so unexpected i guess i was scared of being rejected 
since you were so nice, I wouldn't think twice. I'd give it all away for one more day with you. Wow. Yeah. Andrea must have been a girl he met on tour, maybe? I don't know. Mm-hmm. This one, it was. It was a girl he met on tour. I don't remember the whole story. of something that someone he would he saw a couple times. Yeah, he references having coffee with her. And then never saw her again or something like that. I remember seeing an interview where he talked about it with someone he, he was free, you know, frequently seeing and then just it didn't happen but um that song hit home for me because when i was traveling i had a a girl i would see that wasn't anywhere near me was out on the west Mm. coast and Mm. anytime i would get out get a chance to go out there i would and it would be like oh cool here's we have an hour like Mm. let's let's go get some let's go get coffee and and sit sit down by the res you know as he says in the song and that part yeah, of the song yeah. is my favorite when he's like he's like declaring the fact that he's like crazy about her. But I only have this much time, so let's I'm gonna love you real hard right now, and then I'm out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly, man. It's perfect. Off to another city on the long road to touring. Yeah, I mean that must be yeah. hard, you know. It must be real hard. Yeah, like and then like now it's it's a little easier because like technology's so so rampant. But yeah, back then it was like I had a phone, but the phone didn't have any service anywhere, so it wasn't there was no right. point. Yeah, no FaceTime, none of that. Yeah, Andrea is one of my favorite songs on this record. Just for that, just yeah. for that breakdown part where he's de- making that declaration. The rest of the song yeah. is good, but that's my favorite part on that song. That's cool, man. It's a cool story. While well, on tour, bands often meet so many people. The song mm-hmm. seems to be an ode to those that stand out, the people you're thinking about after you get home, and the important memories from the trip start to stand out as the less important moments kind of fade away. And yeah, yeah, like you said, definitely top five for me. It's a great song. It's it's sweet. I never thought of it like how you just put it, though, like how it lets you remember the people that struck a chord with you. And it's like some of my like if, you know, some of my friends I I haven't seen since I toured there and I still am super friendly with them online. And, you know, like everywhere we went, I have friends all over the country that I still Mm -hmm. talk to on a pretty consistent basis. And I'm and it's so weird that you brought that up, like, because it makes me think of like just one night I made a friendship one time. And then I saw these people over and over again. When I would come in the area, they come in the area, they stay at my house. I would, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and it was one day I would make friends mm-hmm. in one day enough to where it's been a decade and we're still close, which is awesome to me. Moving on to your problem. My emergency. I'm not going to do what you say. It's right. In this one, Mike seems to be saying, look, I'm just a guy making my way through life. Stop expecting me to have the answers. Why is your problem always my emergency? This one was like, a, to me, seemed like a filler. Like, I, it, it's it's still good, but it just seems like it doesn't fit with the rest of the theme of the record. Yeah. It seems like he's mad at someone. He doesn't want to answer for something or he's just trying to, to tell them like, hey, I don't know any better than you. I'm just a dude. Right, yeah, yeah just a it's just one of those things where it's uh the the record seems to have this flow and this one seems like it was just stuck in there like it was either written quick or it's like Mm -hmm. it's kind of a generic like i don't like the system and i'm gonna balk against it but some of the lyrics don't make a lot of sense well yeah i mean like a few of the songs on life in general this one seems to have more than one theme yeah in the last section of the song mike takes issue with a few music business aspects he finds less than desirable he mentions sex masquerades as rock and roll. Mm-hmm. 
uh, critique on artists marketing their looks rather than their musical output. And the line continues with, and manufactured music to save your soul. You know, this was 1996. Don't forget the Backstreet Boys had exploded in the spring of that year. So, you know, taking a jab at that. But then also at the beginning of the song, he's talking about, you know, not getting wrapped up in people's drama. Yeah. Whether it's friends, family, or coworkers. Sometimes we do it because we care about people around us. Sometimes we get caught up in it against our will. And sometimes we get so immersed in other people's business, we forget to take care of ourselves. So, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of got a couple ideas running through here. Yeah, it's 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 definitely, you know, it's funny you say that because it's like I didn't think of it that way looking at it, the the song structure as it is. Mm-hmm. But it is funny because like he is mentioning the whole like. I'm supposed to do this stuff. Why, why am I supposed to worry about all this stuff? But the, right. at the end of it also, but go do your homework, learn your demographic and your target marketing. Yeah. Like, yep. okay. Maybe we, to me, it seems like he was trying to like, uh, like it seems like an executive came to him or was like, Hey, you got to write more songs like this or like that. And he sure. wrote a song like, yeah. okay, fine. I'll write this. I don't, you <laughs> don't, you know, it seems like so, he's balking against maybe having to be a certain way or write a certain song mm-hmm. a certain way. That's what I see from it. A little resentful, yeah. Yeah, like, hey, you're gonna do it our way type of thing. And and tooth and nail, you know, without you know, without shitting on them, they're not known for being very good to their you know their their talent. They're they're people on yeah, their label. I guess I've heard some horror stories. Oh yeah, <laughs> and even Mike Carrera, like he, he was doing, he does like a live stream right now like yeah. pretty often. And he was saying, he goes, I'm not trying to, you know, he was like, I don't want to get into this, but he goes, basically, if you want to help me buy our records that we own, cause we don't make any mm. money off the old ones. And I'm like, that's, uh, that's gotta be brutal that yeah. tooth and nail sold, sold all their, the MXPX records to universal. So they don't make any wow. money on it. That's awful. All right, let's move on to chick magnet. As a aspiring bassist when I was younger, this was kind of a staple you had to learn how to play. I still to this day cannot sing and play it. So I give Mike Herrera the kudos because it is not it's not a hard song, but it's the way it it's like a swing style bass line, but yeah. he's singing a different melody with it. So it's very, very hard to to yeah, get right. Yeah, they don't match up at all. And I, you know, he does it effortlessly. I've seen him a few times and he's just like, whatever, it's no big deal. Me, 20, year, 20 years playing this record, still can't do it. <laughs> you know? um, it's just a song about, like, uh, you know, everyone's got one of those friends that's, you know, the chick magnet. Who, yeah. who for some reason, no matter what he does or what he what he says, or he's always got women beating down his door. Yeah, um, the girls and, go to him. <laughs> yep. And then if you've ever seen the video for this, it's hilarious. It's got Yuri like all pumped up. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah. like, like, and the other, Mike, Mike, and Tom, who are like the the you know the punk rock looking dudes, are just sitting yeah. there watching Yuri like hit on all these girls, and they're all it's it's hilarious. It's a great video. This glasses, blonde, spiky hair, yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he's not the and he's the one you know in the band who's wouldn't be considered like to look punk. He just looks like a dude yeah. who just you know is a regular no, guy he, and he, and he is a regular guy. Well, this was the big single that propelled MXPX forward in a big way. I mean, this song actually reached MTV. Like you were just saying, mm-hmm. there was a video for it. I just remember 
being kind of blown away by that. And the video, like you said, is just so funny. I remember seeing it when I was young and just laughing. And it was perfect. It, it did the job. It made you remember it. And because of that, this song, it bumped them up so high that they actually sold right up until Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo came out, which is their next record. They had sold 89,000 copies of this. Wow. For now, for a band of that that time period, and and with the reach, the the minimal reach they had, that's unheard of. Right, you know, yeah, they were I just mean, kids. kids. They were just young, and they sold almost ninety thousand records. You know, with one music video, and they had toured a lot at that point already. They had done a few tours, mm-hmm. pretty serious tours. You know, they definitely earned their stripes, and there was a little bit of a push. They spent, there was some money spent on them. They got a, a video done, and. And it, you know, can you imagine selling almost 90,000 records of anything at no, any age? That's yeah, that's you know? incredible. I mean, especially yeah. now with digital being as it is, you, you, if you get someone to even download your stuff, you're, you're doing well, but. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. This was their real, this is their really kick into the door of mainstream for the briefest Definitely. time that they had it. Yeah. It's a good song. It's, uh, you know, possibly inspired by the dead milkman song, bitch and Camaro. The song yeah. starts with a shuffling drum beat and a jazzy bass line, much mm-hmm. in the same way this song does, but it's, you know, it's a unique song. It's, it kind of stands apart from the rest. Uh, I love at the end when Mike is scatting and bebopping. <laughs> the first time I heard this song, I remember thinking how odd it was to hear it on a punk record, but how refreshingly fun it was, you know, like I didn't, I didn't mind it, you yeah, know, they, they- they took the gamble. I mean, at the time, MXPX was already had a couple strikes against them, or mm. one strike against them was that they were religious, and a lot of times, punk kids and religion did not go hand in hand. Um, mm. So if you were, you were, you know, you went to a show and you're wearing a Dead Kennedy shirt, nobody said anything, but you were an MXPX shirt, it'd be like, what is that? You know, sissy yeah. Christian music or whatever. I used to hear it oh. all the time, and I'm like, and oh. but then after that, they kind of moved away from it, so. You didn't, you didn't hear about it anymore, but at that time it was something they had. So when they take that extra step and got out of their comfort zone and tried different stuff, I enjoyed it. The original version features some girls talking in the background, making the scat section feel a bit busy. Also, they dropped the sample from mall rats at the beginning, probably due to maybe copyright issues. I don't know. The life in general version is a touch slower and I think it falls into a better groove i know the drums sound really crisp in the song mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very well done drum all right next song today is my way it breaks my heart it makes me sad to think of all the times we had make me laugh and make me cry and all that i can't do inside i wonder why this song describes that hopeless feeling after a breakup. Mike Pines, how will I get through tomorrow if I can't make it through today? How will I get through tomorrow when today is in my way? Ooh, time can become your worst enemy when you're engaged in the healing process after a traumatic event. You know that you're in your heart that all you need is time to come with grips with mm-hmm. what has happened, but time just seems to turn on you. It's like your worst enemy, you know? The days and weeks feel longer as you try to trudge through this miserable state, you know? It's like when you get punched in the gut and, you know, you're mm. waiting for the air to come. You know it's going to come, you, yeah. you know, but you're still thinking you're going to black out. You're still thinking you're going to pass out because it's not coming fast enough. Um, mm-hmm. This song has a really interesting, like, uh, a groove to it. It, it has that yeah. weird, it, it like hangs on that first chord and then goes back, goes into it. 
um, and just keeps the energy up. And of course, Yuri's drumming that double time. It's more of like a a love song, but the mm-hmm. end of a love, like when you're trying to get over it, when you're trying to move past it. it I had a I had a girlfriend right around this time that actually listened to a lot of this stuff with her. And when we broke up, I, all these songs just like was like a knife in the heart oh, every man. day. But it helped me get through it because I wasn't the only one out there going through that, apparently, you know, which was Kindred nice. Spirits. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Sorry. So sorry. I gave it a little time. I thought about it a while. After we give it for is this song about fighting and arguing with bandmates you think i think so yeah i get i get a sense that it is i feel like it's like you know being in a van or 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 you know when you're recording you're at each other's throats a lot of the times too because you don't oh, you have differing opinions yeah. You know, yeah, tempers really hot. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you know you're on the time crunch. You know you're watching the money just pop, fly out of your wallet because you're taking too long mm. to finish your guitar part. Or right, right. <laughs> it sounds like he blew up at them and knows he ha- he's the one who's wrong, but still, mm-hmm. but still can't like let it go. It's hard to say sorry when you know that you were wrong. The yeah. weight of hurting words we often carry on. Yeah. Mike makes mention of the annoying four towards the end of the song. Yeah. I actually asked Tom about that, and he explained to me that this was simply the four other guys in the van with Mike. Okay. So I'm like, who's the annoying four? And he's like, oh, it's the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so probably, he probably, uh, you know, yeah. you've it's something, again, another part of band life that a lot of people don't know is you're, yeah. you want to kill each other a lot of oh, times. totally, man. You ever and, have and any you, crazy arguments with the other cadavers on the road? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Me and Al went at it a lot. And Jeff would just be like, <laughs> and Al and Jeff were childhood friends. So they'd always pick each other's sides. But, oh, but no. like, yeah, it was the worst. <laughs> but yeah. um, we would, you know, we'd get over it kind of, you know, we'd try to let it go. A lot of times you wouldn't say, you know, like there's sometimes I'm like, man, fuck you. And then, you know, or we'd lose our minds. And in the morning we crack jokes at each other just to get over it. You know? Yeah, definitely. You got to have, yeah, you gotta have thick, thick skin for it, man. You, um, yeah. you know, I tell people this. It's. You, if you can't make a relationship work with a partner, you can't be in a mm-hmm. band because you have three other partners or four other partners. <laughs> and it is a lot like that, yeah. It's, you know, you got to, you got to, when one gets mad at the other, you got to get in the middle and go, listen, he didn't mean this. He didn't mean this, you know. Right. Yep. The hardest Definitely. part about being in a band is that, that juggle. And, and, you know, songs that make you feel like that you're there with them dealing with this drama. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know how the road can be, how touring, even if you go to small shows or large shows or close shows or faraway shows, it's, you know, you got to get everyone in there at the right time. You got to make sure everyone doesn't forget stuff and it yeah. wears on your, t- oh, yeah. it wears on each other. Yeah. You lose your patience pretty quick sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or you never start with them in the beginning anyway, you know, right. so and you have to learn to have them, which was me yeah. when I was younger. All right. Next track, Doing Time. This is the first song I ever heard by MXPX and remains 
one of my favorite MXPX songs of all time. It's a song about growing up and looking back on fun memories of youth. The song is like the centerpiece of this album as far as theme. Mike reminisces, I remember times I had. Some were happy, some were sad. Memories, me and my partners in crime throwing up a thousand times. <laughs> throwing up. <laughs> yeah. I gotta wonder why they were throwing up, but yeah. probably drinking, I mean, right? Maybe, or even just... I mean, I've laughed so hard sometimes with my friends when I was younger that I would, you know, throw up because you just get, you know, I've been on the ground. We used to, God, if I had more time, I'd tell you some crazy stories. But, um, you know, those are yeah. the things that you miss. And he was right at that age when he was starting realizing that some of this stuff was going to come to an end. You know, he's still he holding on to it at the end. You know, I, I never, you know, I did all the things I thought were cool. I went out every Friday night. I still do. And yeah. I'm all right. You <laughs> yeah. know? We all wish we could cling to our youth and energy as we get older, but man. We're doing, we're still doing all right. You know, we're doing our best. We're we're doing fine. I mean, uh, we're definitely, I I was, I had this discussion the other day about how like I'm pushing 40, you know, I'm 37, but I don't Mm -hmm. feel 37. I don't, I certainly don't act like 37 and I don't have 30, (laughs) someone who's 37 year old, you know, their mentality or their mindset, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. there's Legos on the ground. Cool. Like, let's play with them, you know, (laughs) like. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think everybody, uh, everybody's different. You know, everybody kind of arrives at older age in a different ways. I mean, people go through like, you know, midlife crises. They they can't hack it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think it's because you're if you're you get to that point where you have to have that, I think you're unhappy in the beginning anyway. Right. Like, I don't think I'll have a midlife crisis. I've been living my midlife crisis my entire life. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm still wearing leather jackets, wearing combat boots and you know, oh, yeah. spiking my hair and I'm, you know, whatever. Life's too short yeah. to try to, to try to, uh, you know, live something you're not. But the song right. is really, it's really cool to, he talks about how like he was trying to figure out how to be, you know, the cool, with the cool kids and maybe the, 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 the cool kids let him in, but they weren't the right crowd for him. Next track is correct me if I'm wrong. Can't you forget I think the song is about parting ways with someone who thinks differently or has different interests or beliefs than you do. And, you know, so maybe quite possibly this is MXPX kind of talking to that that base um, of, of Christian fans that they had. I don't know. Reading into it a little bit with the context leads me to believe that that's a possibility. I think so. Um, I, actually, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're correct. Um, one of my favorite lines MXPX ever wrote was in this song, which is mm-hmm. you're, in, you're the, in the turn lane and I'm the intersection, meaning like you're in the way mm-hmm. of me moving forward. And I think uh, a lot of their they were hitting that point, like I said, where they stopped trying to just be the Christian band and they were just trying to be a punk band. Yeah, you know, with out, Christian yeah. members, this strikes this hits home for me because the band I was in previously, the Fisticuffs, I mm-hmm. was in with Mike and Sean, who are very, very religious, and I'm not. We yeah. we met in the middle with content, like how we wrote the songs, and I didn't step on their beliefs. They didn't really shove anything down my throat. But a lot of the things that they're dealing with, we dealt with, where people didn't mm-hmm. take us seriously for the longest time because Mike and Sean were re- religious, and it used yeah. to piss them off because. Where they were very competent songwriters. Mike and Sean are still some of the most talented people 
I know as far as musically. And yeah. it used to drive them nuts that like we'd play with all these bands and they'd be like, oh, here comes the Christian band. Yeah, to get pigeonholed like that. People's minds yeah. shut down and then it's like. Yeah, even if you yeah. wrote a good song, they're like, oh, they're singing about yeah. God and that's lame. I go, you do realize that like half the songs you listen to are about God. They just don't say yeah. it, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and that was the, so like this one hit home with me a lot. And it's one of the reasons I, it, this one I have a lot of, I can talk a lot about because it's, you know, it is mm-hmm. definitely like he's trying to go, hey, like if you don't like us, cool, that we're going to be okay without you. We'd like to, you to come with us, but you're in the way. Yeah. And and it's like I said, it's one of my that's one of my favorite MXPX lyrics out of countless records. And I still mm-hmm. like I that used to be ri- it's funny because I'm cleaning out my old room, uh, you know, at, at my house. And it actually, you can see where under the paint it used to say that I had oh, really? written, <laughs> written it on the wall. Awesome. Not that's even knowing great. what it was about when I was young. I just loved that lyric for some reason. It was a good analogy. And it's wow. literally you can still see it under the white behind the door. And That's it's funny. like my dad was like, "You got, it can't be drawing on the walls." So, um, <laughs> so we have to paint it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes you kind of have to go separate ways from people. You know, you you still like them, you still respect them, but sometimes you just kind of have to break. You're ho- you're hoping that everyone will come along with you, but if you don't, we'll be okay. And that's what it is. I will admit, in the right. end, I'll be okay. And like you know, the other the other band that reminds me of this is Green Day, when they were like they were ostracized from Gilman Street and like oh, the- yeah yeah kids that love them one day when they signed to they signed to like reprise records or something and and they were like the next day they're like now nah, we're gonna burn in our shirts and stuff and they're like why we're still the same right. dudes we're just trying to do this for real yeah and we haven't done they, anything differently they were just signed to a major label <laughs> yep and they were and they were like nope can't do it yeah people lost their minds <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah right and you know threatening billy joe and bathroom stalls and stuff and it's like Dude, yep. if my friends, I don't care how, how punk rock you are, if my friends got a chance to make money off making music, rock and roll. Oh well, yeah. I'll be right Go behind you supporting you. Why are you yeah, why aren't you doing it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's take a look at uh Crystalina. Half the time, she don't know where she's at. This song describes a carefree gal Mike is quite taken with. She's in her own world, but he thinks she's pretty cool. But as it goes, she has no interest in him at all. (laughs) She's the unattainable girl. What is it about the unattainable that attracts people so much, you think? The hunt. I think it's the hunt. I think it's the, oh wait, she, and usually, let's be honest with ourselves, the unobtainable girl is usually way out of your league and you just don't know it um, <laughs> you when, you're young, it when, when you're young. Uh, yeah. As I get older, I don't, I, 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 the mantra I follow is that nothing is out of your, or your league and nothing's out of your reach. You just have sure. to learn how to get there. But when you're young, mm. you're like, that girl is way, she's never going to notice me, you know, that kind of, and that's right. what the song's about. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's funny because the story about how I told you about the girl that I broke up with, her name is Crystal. So that was oh, hilarious. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, that's why th- this record went perfect for me when I'm yeah, post breakup. So you have a lot of emotional connection to this record. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm a little hung up. I've got over stuff, but when you hear, you know, you hear these songs, we're still friends now, you know, but, oh, that's cool. um, that's good. yeah, I think these, these kind of songs, the, the unrequited love is the easiest thing for people to sympathize with. 
Right. Yeah. You know, everyone, no matter what race, no matter what, what walk of life has had unrequited love, someone you want that doesn't want you. And then trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to go about living with that feeling and knowing that you're still going to wake up in the morning. The best thing I used to say, or the thing I used to feel was that like, you take your shot and if you didn't like it, then you you take that day, you sulk and wake up in the morning, go on with your life because there's going to be more. Time to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Destroyed by you. Can someone tell me why I'm feeling this way? Can someone tell me why this world is so great? It's never just black and white. So much went on tonight. Was I wrong or was I right? You think the whole world revolves around... I get the sense that this song is about the hopelessness and confusion that comes with the understanding that not everything is so black and white, you know? There are many subtleties to life and relationships that can make things more challenging. In this song, Mike seems to be feeling frustrated with a person who seems to believe the whole world revolves around them. Sometimes you feel like you're getting your point across with this type of person only to discover that it hasn't at all. <laughs> he sings, it's never just black and white. So much went on tonight. Was I wrong or was I right? Like you doubt yourself, you know, like you just spend all this time arguing with somebody and it's like you walk away from the conversation. You're like, why, why didn't, why couldn't they see it my way? Why weren't they understanding what I was saying? You know? And then you're like, shit, maybe I am wrong. You know, like maybe, maybe it's me. (laughs) Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. This one stood out for me on the record because it starts off with him doing the the whole first like half verse with Nana's. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Which was like, it's catchy because I always love stuff like that. Like I grew up with the Ramones. You know, uh, anything where you can sing along, even if you don't know the words, which is something I think is good. Um, It gets you in the right the the right mindset to do this, you know, to listen to the song. It's a good driving song. I do like the way the song like pauses. It it, it goes into like a down downturn. It's like then the lyrics come across with you think the whole world revolves around your head. You are ignoring Mm -hmm. me and you haven't heard a word I've just said. And I was like, so many of the, you know, interactions in your life and our everyone's lives are that that right there. Waiting mm-hmm. for their turn to speak, not really listening to what you're saying. Like right, if we all, yeah. if we all kind of took the time to listen, I think we'd all be in a better spot. But we're not. You know, the world totally. doesn't work like that. <laughs> That's what people do, though, man. They just wait for their turn to to speak. You know, like people, you'll be out socially, and people be like, "So how's work?" And you'll start talking, and like as you're talking about it, you can just see people's attention just go. <laughs> and you're like you're not listening to me at all. Nope. The, the glaze on the eyes just gets real yeah. thick, and you're like. Oh, what I just say, man? They're like, huh? You're like, oh, no. Um, it happens to me all the time. And I can see it for what it is. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it's necessarily like a character flaw, I think, because we're just so overstimulated and so overrushed with society that like, oh, I agree. Yeah. you're just trying to like fit in your thing. But yeah, it definitely, it's something you have to work on as you get older is to try to be more genuine with like what you're going at, you know, what you got going yeah. for you. Enjoy a conversation and not, totally. not just enjoy a conversation because you're part of it, but because you have someone to talk to, you know, like, yeah. I love that. I love, I love this. Like, this is, I could do this forever. If I ever found a way to like do this for a career, you know, I would be uh, pretty happy with talking every day about things that I like, especially. <laughs> I know. I think, I think about that all the time. Like, man, imagine if I could just do this. <laughs> yeah. You never know. You keep plugging away, man. Yeah, call up my friends and be like, hey, you want to talk about records with me? <laughs> As a side note, this song was featured on episodes of the show Love Line with Adam Carolla and Dr. Drew. Wow. You can hear the on and on and on section 
during the show's bumper. No kidding. It's an interesting little tidbit. I didn't actually watch Love Line, so I didn't know that. But <laughs> I did a little bit just for the like, uh, you know, dealing with like uh, breakups and and dealing yeah. with like uh, sex ed in, in West Springfield was not uh, up to par. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So you're like learning, you know, I was like, oh, really? Hmm, that's interesting. And I didn't, I don't remember them ever playing music in their bumpers. So, but I, I probably wasn't listening for that. I was probably just listening for the advice. So, <laughs> right. All right. Last song on the album, Southbound. It's all the same, same old town with a different name. That's fine by me. This is the last track, and it's a good one. It's a great closer for a great album. And for a while, this was actually one of my favorite tracks on the album. I totally borrowed from this song's extended outro to create an instrumental bridge to a No Intention song called Between Us Two, which was on our first record. I just, mm-hmm. I always love this. I always love that. And I just, you know, borrowed it from, <laughs> from Southbound. But let's be fair. We've all borrowed from MXPX. I've been borrowing from, you know what I mean? Borrow is a nice way to say yeah. it. Um, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> all, right. All, right. all right. I ripped them taking off. Whole, taking whole parts of songs and making them my own by, yeah, it's some whatever. <laughs> they know. Everyone changed the title. It. Yeah, it's a different song, yeah. right? I didn't use the same uh, you know, vocal melody either. You know, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, played the verse backwards. Yeah. It, it, everybody yeah. does it. Don't feel bad. I do. I've done it. There's a couple of cadaver songs. If I were to show you parts, you'd be like, oh, that's where it came from, you know? Oh, right. Yeah. You wouldn't notice it unless, <laughs> it unless you, you right. if I were to show you the song and then show you our song, you'd be like, huh. But it's just, some of it yeah. comes very fluid and it's not it's not intentional because, it's a, you yeah. know, when you write a song or you record a song, whatever you're listening to kind of bleeds into whatever you're doing. It's just how it goes. Sure, yeah. That's where you get your inspiration. No yeah. art is created in a vacuum. You always got some sort of reference. So. It's like, true. this is a great record for, or a great, uh, I keep saying that. This is a great track for driving. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. like, the song is about driving down southbound on I 5, which I think I've driven yeah, on. Yeah. I'm not sure. I've driven on all the highways out there, but it's beautiful. Yeah. If you ever get a chance, it's breathtaking. And I don't understand how people could be miserable living in a right. place like that. It's so beautiful. It's You can drive from mm-hmm. a city to, like, the, the Redwoods in, like, two hours, you know? Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. But I mean, like, this. It's. I like how the end of it ends, and it's kind of like a clean guitar tone, kind of like a surfy yeah, guitar yeah. detail type of tone that Tom's using. And it just slow. I love the drums are slowly like half timing each each line around, getting slower and slower until he finally just lets that last power chord ring out. I love it. Right, and they're just bing. Yep. Yeah, that's over. It's just a good song, you know. It takes a positive look at life on the road as a touring band. Bands like All and Lagwag and Descendants Ramones, they all have, you know, songs of this nature being on the road. All the towns start to look the same, mm-hmm. but Life on the Road is pretty sweet. Windows down, music on. It's, uh, you know, it's upbeat. It's an upbeat look at traveling and um, songwriters like Mike and, you know, the the guys in Lagwag and All Descendants, you know, they write about their experiences. And so since so, these guys spend so much time on the road, it makes up so much of those experiences. They just... They write a lot of these these kinds of songs. I think if you're a band for a few years, you have a song about the road. It just, I think it's like, not that yep. it's like a badge, but I think it's like, again, it's like, I think it was like Neil Diamond or someone I remember he said that once a band writes a song about being on the road, they're no longer fun and are entertaining because that, that's all they 
Oh, no. And I was like, wait, I always thought it was the opposite. I always thought like once you were out there enough, you would, the road was so foreign to me as a child or a young adult that I wanted to, I wanted to experience that. I wanted to see what it was about. Totally. And the song was the way I did that. Now I never mm-hmm. thought like every, almost every band I listen to has a song about the road. Some, some have many songs about the road because they tour so much. That's their daily right. interaction is the road. You know, yeah. I don't always need to be so- songs about your girlfriend. Tra- you know, seeing right. the world is a good thing too. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have a bunch of different topics in your mix. Of course. All right, so we're looking at the artwork for Life in General. It features a cover drawing done by Chris Cooper, as I mentioned in the intro, or as he's mentioned in the album Coop. Coop. Yeah, Coop artwork. It has a mullet sporting muscular jock in some red short shorts <laughs> and a leather jacket with a B on it. Must be Bermerton, mm-hmm. maybe. He's got a leather jacket wearing punk kid in a headlock as another kid is pictured stuffed in a trash can. There's an angry principal or maybe a teacher in the background looking on. The back of the album shows the same uh, principal or teacher holding the punk up by the back of the jacket, yelling at him. So it's kind of funny because, you know, despite the fact that it was the bully who did all the abuse, it's the punk who still gets in trouble. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the, the old... Uh the tail, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, if yeah. think of like, uh, for example, the outsiders, you know, it was, it was mm-hmm. the, yep. the South side socials that started all the problems. It wasn't the greasers and the greasers right. were there was the ones getting arrested and everything. Yeah. I don't like the way you look kid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Kinda like that. laughs> it's true. It's still kind of true too. Now these yeah. days, not as bad. Um, but yeah, yeah the I, people are a little bit more accepting now, but, uh, yeah, back then it was, you get a lot of trouble just for sporting a mohawk or wearing a leather jacket. You know? Dude, I had I had a uh, green hair and I got sent home from school. I was ten, in tenth really? grade. Yep, and, oh, no. which is weird because now I see kids going by; they get all sorts of stuff, which is awesome. Oh, but totally, I'm like, yeah. dude, you, it's cool you can go into school. Now that they, I had, they get called the f word constantly. When mm. you know, different time period. You know, punk was a a little yeah. more unaccessible back then than it is now. Right. You know? The inside of the booklet has the lyrics overlaid with pictures of Tom in a Batman shirt and Mike cruising around on his Vespa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Some girl's face accompanies the Andrea lyrics. The center of the booklet features an odd assortment of pictures. In addition to each band member's birth certificate, <laughs> there is two letters from Santa or to Santa from a very young Yuri <laughs> and another from Mike is included. Along with like, what is this like a spelling award? Yeah, I think it's like the, someone participating in the spelling bee. Yeah, Mike's diploma is in here. Yep. I, I mean, I guess it goes with the whole like life motif that they were going for. Yeah, I think it was just like, what what do we have for out? You know, what parts of what what's part of our lives? What do we got up in this point? You know, they have right. some pictures of their their yep. family in there. Um, you know, like. Uh, yeah. They're really good at the, the like the mural, not the murals, but the coll- uh, collages of their lives up until that point. Even a lot of their old, newer records mm-hmm. do the same thing. They tend to uh, draw in a lot of personal stuff. Absolutely. According to Mike on rockfreaks.net, it was a really coming-of-age kind of record for us and for the fans. I think fans got into punk rock. That was one of the records that they were listening to at the time. When they started discovering music, discovered the lifestyle, discovered whatever it was that made them who they are. I think life in general for some people is that album, or one of those albums, or that album from MXPX at least. And he's right, life in general landed right in the middle of the mid to late 90s and it was a solid record. 
Mike's lyrics were about everyday stuff. While many bands were writing songs about the political landscape or drug abuse, societal violence, or even class warfare, all stuff I was heavily into, there were times I wanted to hear music that gave me an outlet for some of the other things I was experiencing. Heartache, loneliness, frustration. Bands like MXPX were perfect for that. I could never listen to the same things over and over again. Choosing variety based on my mood was always the way to go. And this record is definitely a classic for that. But this, rec- this record, like I said before, was a pivotal uh, jump from my young adolescence to teenage years. Um, I went through a breakup listening to it. Um, you know, I watched my family change radically when my mother moved away. Um, so it, it's very personal to me. It was something I spun all the time. I had it in both record, CD, and cassette form, so I could literally take oh, it wow, with me nice. anywhere. The, one of the main things I spent my money on, like I wasn't a drinker, or I didn't do any drugs as a kid, a young, a young adult or anything. I spent my money on records. I collected a lot of punk records, a lot of punk CDs and tapes. And um, this one was yeah. was such a pivotal one for me. Um, I met so many people in that part of my life that were into that, you know, into that record. That was our, our like our mesh record that we all, even if you were a Dead Kennys kid or a NoFX kid or a, you know, any other band, you could all of us could get together and listen to that and i listened to that so much like i sap music it's weird to say but like i'll listen to a a cd or a record it comes on and i'll get goosebumps and i'll keep listening to it until like those goosebumps go away and then i'll move on to something else that was a different record that'll give me goosebumps again you know i can revisit these records and they'll do it again but not the same way and that summer was that you know this record was that record that just you know, put the hair up on my arms. It's well produced. It was something that stood out in pop punk, uh, the pop punk at the time. It, it's um, something that was unique. Like I said, it was a cross genre release that ev- everyone in my little circle got got along enough to listen to, which was very rare. And um, it will always hold a special place in my heart. And it's something, like I said earlier, I, I still listen to very frequently. You have that life in general violence? Uh, yes, I do. It's actually downstairs. And you know what? I was just on Discogs. I can't believe how much they want for a copy of that. It's like a hundred and yeah, that's hard to get. It's hard to get. One hundred and forty dollars now. I I couldn't believe that. Yeah. I have the the white version. I don't have the the original. I have the the one that came out a year or two later. I got from when I saw them touring on Slowly Going the Way of the Buffalo, which is their next record. All right, Scott. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for chatting with, about MXPX with me tonight. This has been really great. It's been a pleasure chatting with you, having you on. Oh, yeah, man. It was a lot of fun. Anytime you want to invite me back, let me know. I'd like to send a special thanks out to Tom for filling me in on the recording process of this record. Special thanks to rockfreaks.net, Mike's podcast, the Mike Herrera podcast, and many other places on the internet where I dug up some of this information. Today's episode was written and produced by me. The Talking Records theme song was provided by Chris DeMakes from Less Than Jake. Craig supplied the graphics for our Instagram. Thank you to everyone who has tuned in to Talking Records, connected with us through Instagram, and checked out our new website, TalkingRecordsPodcast.com. Also, you can email us at TalkingRecords at Outlook.com. Tell us about how you discovered MXPX. A huge thank you to everyone who has spread the word about Talking Records. Getting this little podcast out into the world has been possible with your help, and I really appreciate it. All right, take care, everybody.